Dana Gresh in the Born to be Brave Test Warehouse. After 14 years, we finally have something for the guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know there's no girls allowed in the show, on the show, or in the underground secret bunker? My husband, Bob Gresh, friends, and boys will be boys. Unless they have a man to teach them how to be a man. Born to be Brave is a live stage event that teaches true biblical man stuff without even feeling awkward. Born to be Brave isn't your typical church event. You'll find that out about the time you see the Wheel of Destruction smash something flat, or when 2,000 ping pong balls fly at you from the stage. It's a night of biblical teaching, interactive games, all strategically designed for men and by men. You'll become a better dad in two and a half hours flat. It's all happening in a city near you. For more info and the answer to why grass only smells when you cut it, go to borntobebravetour.com. Well, we're ready to go out on tour soon, yeah. and I'm excited. Are you? Yep, I am. It's fun out there. Yeah. Why did you start the Born to be Brave Tour, baby? You know, we talk a lot about in the ministry about, we in 1 Corinthians talks about comforting others with the comfort we've received. And, yeah. um, you know, sharing my story out there on a limited basis, you know, on a general basis, is uh, kind of part of my redemption journey. And uh, it's good to pass it on to other men and sons. We don't talk about sexuality in general, right. but just the la lies and the labels we talk about. Yeah. It's very moving to men and boys, and uh, we have a lot of fun smashing stuff with the yeah. wheel of destruction. The wheel of destruction. Yep. Mm -hmm. There is no wheel of destruction on my tour, the True Girl Tour, but I'm so glad you have one, baby. Well, stick around if you want to know the answer to why the grass only smells when you cut it, because I am going to ask Bob that. And if you want to stop comparing and competing with other people, learn how to stop living under the lies of your past, those labels, as Bob just mentioned, and move into your God-given redemptive purpose. Yeah, and you might want to grab a roll of duct tape. It might come in handy. <laughs> hey there. Welcome to the Happily Even After podcast, where you'll hear a story of a husband and wife who did not ride off into the sunset, but found themselves fighting a man's fierce battle with lust and pornography. Bob and Dan Agresh are raw, real, and honest. Their guests are wise experts in the work of marriage recovery. Some have degrees in therapy and psychology. Others learn their lessons on the hot pavement of life. All of them will tell you the truth, what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Oh, and by the way, you can live happily even after. So why does the grass only smell when you cut it? Do you know? Yes, I do know. And the main culprit responsible for the smell... This is according to lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. <laughs> the culprit is a group of chemicals called green leaf volatiles. Volatiles. GVLs are a mixture of oxygenated hydrocarbons, including methanol and a bunch of other stuff. These chemicals are produced by plants as a response to stress, oh. such as being cut or chewed by insects. So basically it's the death scream of grass, oh. <laughs> right? It's the death scream. My Wikipedia thing says GLVs are a distress signal warning other plants of imminent danger. Yeah, but that doesn't work because like <laughs> when one, by the time one blade of grass screams, the other blades of grass are done. It's There's no time to react from that mower. 
Yeah, that's a bummer. It's actually very sad. And I used to love the smell of fresh cut grass. Well, baby, we hosted our first ever Living Happily Even After Retreat. So many cool stories. I mean, testimonies of sheer redemption. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was crazy good. And um, there's one story in particular that I guess we can't say their name. No, but they know who they are. Well, of course they do. You know who I'm going to talk about? Of course I do. The one couple, the wife. Um, she, she the was, ex-wife. Well, right. She's She was an ex-wife. She heard this podcast just a few months ago. They'd been divorced. I think it was either 2018 or 2019 because of his porn problem. But they began listening to the podcast together and they attended the retreat together as a step toward reconciliation. That was amazing. <sighs> Gives me chills. He got serious about his sin, got repentant. We talked about all kinds of sin down there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and her heart was softened toward him. My favorite photo, I think, of the weekend, it's on your phone, is a picture of him and her from the back holding hands as they listened. Yeah, that's a great redemption story. I love I mean, it. That's the best. And I hope they come on the podcast someday. I do too. I can't wait to hear about their remarriage. I know it's going to happen. So speaking of the first living happily even after retreat, there were about 90 of us. We all met in the Dominican Republic at Casa de Campo. It's built on the edge of Altos de Chavon. It's this beautiful bluff looking over a river. And we soaked in good teaching, captured all of it for you. We're going to share it with you in the future on video. And some of that teaching was from Pete Kuyper, our marriage counselor who joined us. And I want to remind you about something he shared with us in episode two of the podcast. If you are experiencing true intimacy with another person, their message of, I love you, not just because of, of how good you are or what you've done right, but I love you because I know who you are in Christ and that you are valuable and precious. You are God's poema. Poema. That's a word we learned from Pete. It's the Greek word for workmanship as found in Ephesians 2.10. Let me read that for you. For we are his workmanship, or poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That uh, workmanship that Ephesians 2.10 talks about, um, that masterpiece, um, when, when you experience somebody loving you for who you are, that's when shame dissipates. So, so that word in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, is poema, right? As you say. Right. Another thing I'll never forget, and that means we're his poem, his art. What yes. a powerful. It's a powerful. Yeah. That was an especially powerful truth for you, wasn't it, Bob? One of the reasons I love to go out and teach on Born to be Brave is I get to teach on this, and it reminds me every time that I'm not a dumpster fire. I'm a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, and right. sometimes a dumpster <laughs> you, you fire. You are not a dumpster fire. Like man. a masterpiece no. being pulled out <laughs> of a dumpster fire. Stop. Today, we're going to hear Bob's testimony about how he began to believe that he was a masterpiece created by God, God's poema. This is my man teaching at the first ever Living Happily Even After Retreat. I want to talk to you tonight about lies and labels, lies, labels, and duct tape. And so nothing better for a man, right? I mean, if you are on a deserted island, you want to just a roll of duct tape and a a bailing wire would get you a long way, right? So MacGyver, that sounds, 
You're the kind of guy I want to be on an island with. Just to think of bailing wire, I think, is a good, that's a good plan. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, one of the things we teach the students about at the Born to be Brave show, we talk about bravery, and our definition that night is doing the next right thing. I realized that I kind of came up with that as we wrote the show, and then I was sitting in a 12-step group one night, and I looked across the room and I thought, oh, I must have got it from that. It says, do the next right thing on a big poster there. So it's, uh, you know, that's how that works. But anyway, I be we believe it's a good definition for that night just to talk to the kids and the fathers about um, being brave and doing the next right thing. Not making it a big list of things to do, not making it overly complicated, but doing the next right thing. And um, we do talk about labels or our false beliefs or our lies. I want to talk to you about that tonight. So when I was uh, young, younger, uh, I played a lot of tennis. I played tennis on the Cedarville University team. I liked tennis. I was 80 pounds lighter, so that helped me. It was a big advantage getting around the court. But uh, um, so I was home on a break, and my uncle, who was kind of my spiritual father figure, uh, was uh, wanted to play. And it was a warm Christmas uh, weekend day in Pennsylvania, which is kind of unusual. And so I remember it very clearly. He was, I thought he was ancient at the time. Now, doing the math now, I think he was about 40, because uh, I was just thinking the other day about that. And, um, but he was ancient, you know, I was 20. And so we were playing, and I realized he, now he was playing old ball tennis, which is what I play now, which is angles, and I can't get around as well, but I can, I can outsmart some people. And so I was beating him like five to one or something, and he came back and he beat me seven to five. And for me, it was like, you know, I don't like to lose, but I got it. And when he came up to the net, he came across the, the net to me and he came up to me and said, hey, Bob, just really appreciate you playing. It was great. I knew I was going to beat you because Gresh's never finish. Gresh's never finish. And I'll never forget that, which was so odd because one of the things is that people can say things to you that they don't mean, that they would never think of. Um, but that kind of stuck with me. And it's something I remember 38 years later, which is one of these things, is one of the ways you can tell about false beliefs or lies is you remember something, it's like a little dart that sticks in you, which shouldn't have had a big effect sometimes, but it does. And that's where Satan and the enemy has kind of gotten you a little bit. And so what happens is that that became a little bit of the background music of my life. Like I could never finish. So when I wouldn't finish something or when I would lose, I would feel like, not that I just lost, but that I was weak and a quitter and lazy. It wasn't about how good I was at tennis. It was about how good of a person I was. And I remember uh, after that, I was number two on my high school team, and I remember thinking that two wasn't good enough. It, I could have been one, but I just wasn't strong enough. It wasn't a finisher. When in fact, the number one guy was way better than me. I mean, I was just, you know, there was, it wasn't a quality thing. It was, he was just better than me by far. And yet, I internalized that. And then I walked through my life, not really knowing about this. It didn't occur to me that, that what he said to me was sticking with me, but it would come up in my mind once in a while because he had a big impact on my life. And 
Um, and so as I went through life, there were things that, where this would pop up, like you get a song in your head, and you just kind of hum it to yourself, and you think, I'm still humming this tune. And uh, it kind of had a big influence on me. Um, it came up at the worst possible time. And I believe that all of us have these false beliefs, these lies, and when we believe them enough, we start to wear them like labels. We start to wear them. And uh, we all have them. Now, some of you may, you know, for a guy to drive in the church parking lot and to see a Mercedes next to him when he doesn't have that car, or to see a guy with a better job, or a guy that's thinner, or whatever, a guy that's a better athlete, a guy that always wins, that can be a label. For women, it can be that somebody has a career and they don't, or their kids are seemingly turning out better and, um, and yours aren't. You're comparing kids, you're comparing everything. Luckily, I have the best grandkids in the world, and so I don't have to worry about that. I've not had that problem yet. Um, because, uh, but we, when we go through our lives, we get these labels on us. You know, I, I have to deal with that in my marriage with Dana. Dana, you can tell, is prepared. She can give the same you know, lesson 200 times, literally, and prepare for it like it's the first time. And she's just that type of person. And so I'm not that type of person. And so it's easier for me to say, well, I don't finish. I'm lazy. I'm weak. It's easy for me to do that, even though I believe that I just have some different gifts. Um, I mean, if you want to party, I'm the guy to invite. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Dan is great, but if you want to party, come to our room tonight. So anyway, uh, Dan will be studying, but I'll be watching whatever you want to watch. We'll be doing whatever we want to do. So um, last night I was like, it's only 9 o'clock. Where's everybody going? And Dan said, well, everybody's up early. I'm like, yeah, but... And she's like, and I have to study. And I was like, of course you do. Anyway, so... But... Um, you know, that's how she shows up, and that's a great thing. And so, but in a lot of ways, you know, the things I do well help support that. Um, and so, so, one of the things is, where do I feel less than? Where do I start comparing myself to someone else? And the other thing is, when do I have a 10 reaction to a 2 problem? When do I something just bugs me and it's like, why did I respond like that? Whether it's with one of our team members or my wife or whatever, what, what is that? And, I, and learning these principles, I thought, oh, I can see there's a, it's taking me down to the bottom of the iceberg, that buoy, it's taking me down to something there that is a label in my life. It's very interesting once you start to figure this out because I do this with my students at school and almost always, I become sort of an expert in this because it's almost always the exact opposite of what the person is. So Dan will think things like, well, I'm not a good speaker. Nobody really, you know, I'm not really that important. I'm not this and that. I'm like, the most popular kid in school will say they're unlovable. The best students will say they're dumb. It's unbelievable, but it, is, it makes total sense spiritually because it's a counterfeit of the truth, right? Satan works in counterfeits. And so... Um, where, is, where are you having a 10 reaction to a 2 problem, and where do you feel less than? And so as we talk tonight, I'm going to challenge you at the end to kind of think through that. We not only start to believe them, these lies, but we wear them. 
Now, Jesus understands this, because one of my favorite verses in the Bible, along with Pete's, is, is Hebrews 4. And I want to read that to you, Hebrews 4.12. It starts out with, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Think about this. This is cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And if you think about that, that can be pretty scary stuff. How many of us want to be naked and exposed with the word of God cutting to the joint and the marrow? But this is no surprise to Jesus how we handle things. And the reason it's no surprise is because as we go on here, it says... uh, since we have a great high priest uh, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So he faced some of the same temptations we do, right? He faced all the same temptations. Like what? Like what kind of temptation did Jesus face? When you think of Jesus and temptation, what do you think about? What do you think about Jesus and temptation? The desert. And, you know, now, I'm not a theologian, okay? But I don't really relate to the temptations in the wilderness. Like, I mean, I don't think I'm better than Jesus in any way, but like, if you take me out to that ravine up in Alto Sechevan and say, jump off of here, jump off that cliff, I'd be like, easy, no. Not tempting to me at all, okay? Um, so we go through this temptation. Now, the bread thing would have definitely been, it would have gotten me. But I don't ever relate very well to the deep theology of the wilderness experience. And so it's easy for me to think of Jesus as the person in, whoever painted this picture of Jesus with the lamb in his arms that's at every church, that dude's, He's got a house on the ocean here. He's got some money because that, that picture of Jesus holding that lamb is everywhere. He's in perfect white robe and he walks around and he's like, how's it going? And to tell you the truth, that never seemed much fun. It didn't ever seem very much fun to hang around with Jesus. Because I'm like, this is like the Pope on a perfect day. That's kind of how it, it doesn't seem like it'd be much fun, particularly with my personality. One of the things I love about The Chosen, you maybe you didn't like, don't like it, but I love it because it shows what Jesus could have been like. And Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness is not something I relate to well, but what it says he was tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. What kind of ways was he tempted? Shout it out. Sexually. Sexually? What power? What else? Idolatry, anger? Cheating. You see, we see Jesus as, um, it's easy to see Jesus as a straight-A student, right? Like, honestly, this would have been really aggravating in school if Jesus was like in your same class on your same sports team, because he's like winning every spelling bee. You don't want him in your fantasy football league, guys. You just don't, because he knows the draft picks. He's picking like people in the seventh round that are, that are the winners. And I just think of this. I think of him being on the soccer team. He goes to Trinity Christian, and... And uh, he's the goalie, never, scored, never let a goal go through. In fact, he can shoot from the goal to the other 
to the older goal. He has never allowed a score, a goal to be scored on him. And so Trinity Christian, you know how Christian school parents are like me? They, they get uh, little bumper stickers that say, Jesus saves. Like a goalie saves. Jeez, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> but you don't really want Jesus. That's not the Jesus that I can relate to. I can't relate to him. I, re, I relate to the Jesus that understands our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way we are, yet he did not sin. When I'm struggling with lust or pornography or power or all the things I struggle with, that's the Jesus I think about, the Jesus in Hebrews 4. And that's the Jesus I need. I really need to know that he understands where I am, or I can build up a lot of shame for not being able to be like him. Do you need that Jesus? As we struggle through the things we struggle with in our marriage or in our spiritual life or how much time we spend you know, studying or worshiping, um, it's nice to have relate to Jesus that didn't do everything and that he understands everything we went through, yet he did not sin. So he can help us with our labels. He understands how to defeat those because Jesus never wore the labels of the enemy. He never believed the lies of the enemy. He believed the truth of his father, who gave him a label, by the way. And the label that his father gave him was son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that happened before Jesus started his earthly ministry. Jesus hadn't done a whole lot yet that we know of in the Bible at the beginning of those three years. But already he was seen as a beloved son. And he lived in that. And that's how he has the power to help us. Ephesians 2.10, this is where we, we tie that into what Pete's saying, that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. And when I hear the word masterpiece or poema, I know that, but it's really hard for me to feel that. It's, it's a little bit hard for me to feel like I'm God's masterpiece because of the way I act, the way I behave, some of the things I've done. It's really hard for me to internalize that. It's very easy for me to internalize some other things in the Bible where I feel pretty hard-hitting stuff as a sinner or whatever. That's a little bit easier, but to think of me, myself as a masterpiece is something that every time I teach it, I, I kind of have to roll it around in my head thinking, I need to accept that. I need to accept the truth of God. I accept the hard things in the Bible, but this is a beautiful thing, and I am his masterpiece. This podcast is brought to you by Pure Freedom and Covenant Eyes. Here's Dana Gresh. Thanks, Covenant Eyes, for partnering with us to bring this podcast to couples battling porn. Over 1.5 million people have used Covenant Eyes to experience victory, and my husband is one of them. Covenant Eyes is an app that's designed to help you and those you love, including your kids, live free from pornography, and we couldn't recommend it more highly. Visit the link in our show notes or go directly to CovenantEyes.com to learn more and use the coupon code H-E-A for happily even after to enjoy 30 days free. That's H-E-A for happily even after. You can also find that code in the show notes for the podcast. So let me say this again. You are a masterpiece created by God. No matter what sin you face, no matter how your brain works, no matter what label you're wearing, but it is time to stop believing those lies 
Stop wearing them like a label and begin to wear the truth of God, to be like Jesus, to believe what the Father says about you. And that's part of your redemption story. So don't stop short. I have literally watched my husband begin to believe God's truth about him, and it unleashed new purpose in his life. The Born to be Brave event for fathers and sons, it's just part of that. Yeah, and it can be really healing in a marriage to know the label of your spouse mm-hmm. um, so that you can understand what their hot buttons are, where they're hurting or wounded, why some of the things you say create a reaction that's, we always say, a 10 reaction to a two problem. Yeah. What's a lie or label that you wear, Dana? Well... Well, there have been lots of them through the years, and I'm sure there are lots of them I'm not even aware of yet, but probably one that I struggle with a lot is hypocrite. And I think when I was, well, back in my teen and college years, when I was sinning sexually, but walking the walk and talking the talk in front of everyone, I felt fake because I was, I was fake. I, I really was. But then I walked in integrity and holiness, and I still felt that label. I felt it. It stuck to me. And I was terrified of someone finding out my sin, even though it was in the past. And every now and then, I have to admit that that one still tries to sneak back up on me and label me again. Well, I don't think you should feel like that. But I understand, particularly in ministry, how that can affect us Mm. when we're teaching others and we don't always have it all worked out perfectly ourselves forever. Because we don't. No, we don't. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but for us guys or anybody who's been, you know, any women who, who've been addicted to lust or porn or fairs, chatting online, hurt their marriage in any way by anger, this is all stuff that we can talk about. It's a really hard thing to get over these labels. We can wear these labels for a long time and struggle with them over and over again. You know, I used to really love weddings. We have a lot of grace prep kids that get married and married to each other, and that's really fun. It's a little bit harder for me to go to weddings now because... I feel to some extent like I've messed up those things, messed up the vows. And I have to kind of work through those feelings of embarrassment. And knowing what those feelings are and where they're coming from is the first step sort of to healing them. You know, there's consequences to actions. And I, to some extent, will always feel that. But one of the things you have to go through is a process of just taking the time and having somebody to pray with you and see what comes up out of that. And then at some point, forgiving yourself and letting God forgive you Yeah, and others. I was really surprised. You shared that about the weddings in the DR when we were at the retreat, and I had never heard you say that before. I've sat there as your plus one at all those weddings, never knowing you were struggling with that. That makes me sad. Well, we usually can't talk about it during the wedding. It's a quiet <laughs> yeah, time. Right. Uh, I shouldn't of- joke about that. I <laughs> use humor to deflect intimacy, which is what I just did there. Keep We're that still in. working on that. Yeah. Here's what I want you to do as a listener. We're going to take a few minutes here, say five minutes. And I want you to think about your label, where you feel less than. Sometimes it's where you have a 10 reaction to a two problem, um, where you overreact. You know what we also call them? Sometimes we call them hot buttons. They, they, they kind of operate as a hot button that somebody says something and you, you kind of overreact to it. People are like, whoa. And we're going to play a song to have you just think through this and pray through it. And we'll do that at the end of the podcast here in a few minutes. Yeah. And if you just engage your left brain, the logical side in this, 
and you think, oh, I'm a masterpiece. So you tell yourself that, right? That's not going to cut it. Your whole brain needs to engage in this. We need your right side, the creative emoting part of you to process this truth. So that's why we're going to play a song and ask you to press in to feel this. And then I want you to talk to your wife or your husband about it. And what we do at the Born to be Brave event with fathers and sons is, is what I want you to do today. And that's, I want your spouse to give you a new label of what she or he thinks can replace that label, that lie, and write that new truth on a piece of duct tape and stick it right to him or her. Stick it right to him or her. And again, we're engaging our whole self in this. And it's, it's really a powerful thing. I see it at the event. Mm-hmm. And I see it whenever we do it. If people take time to kind of sit in it for a while, it really is amazing. And at our events, dads will come up wearing a thing that says faithful. And he'll be crying saying, I was unfaithful to my wife. and I left the house. And the fact that my son, you know, he comes back to the house. In fact, my son would now write that for me and stick it on me is amazing. And it's just, it's really moving. But that's what God can do. Mm-hmm. And he can make something new out of you. He can restore you. And we are his masterpiece in the making. It's a process. Yeah. It's progress, not perfection. Bob and I are going to model this for you in just a moment. And then stick around, listen to the song, and then find some time to rip that lie, that label off, and replace it with God's truth. Well, that's this episode of the Happily Even After limited series podcast with Bob and Dana Gresh. Be sure to check out the show notes at danagresh.com. If you don't already have a copy of Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage, get one anywhere you like to buy books. Episodes one through seven of this podcast support key chapters in that book. They contain conversation prompts to explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. Bob Gresh, I reject the lie that you are lazy. You are one of the hardest working men that I know. You are one of the most valiant working men that I know. There is never a time when somebody has a need that you put yours first. You jump to the occasion. You rise to the occasion and you go. You knock down doors for people. You are anything but lazy. And forever and always, until heaven, I suppose, I want you to be my plus one at every wedding because I am delighted to be your wife. Hmm, That's I don't know that I gave you a very clear label. There. What's my label? Jumper? Your new label? Can I jump up? <laughs> Your jumper? new label is... Door kicker. Door kicker. Hard worker. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Dana Gresh, I will say that you are the most real and true person I know. Really. You are transparent. You are not a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And I think just be the fact that you struggle with that is evidence to me of how hard you work to share the truth and act in the truth Mm. and I believe anyone in the ministry that doesn't struggle with being a hypocrite probably is naive in how much they are broken does that make sense Mm. they're not willing to admit they're broken if you think yeah I'm you know you're not really understanding how broken you are and that you're not all that so you are the real thing you are the real thing. You are faithful and true. Thank you. Okay, I know this is really intimate, kind of warm and squishy, and it's supposed to be. This is the hard work to do for, I think, for particularly for guys. And But that's where the healing comes from, is taking time, digging deep, and, um, and doing the work. So listen to this song. 
and then it's your turn. So this song is one that I commissioned for my True Girl ministry. It's based on God's declaration over creation when he said in Genesis, it is good. And he says that about you and how he created you. It's no mistake that you're fast or slow, studious or creative, quiet or energetic. He chose that for you and it is good. So here it is, It Is Good, featuring Rachel Lampa.
The Happily Even After podcast is written by Bob and Dana Gresh. Original music and production by Blake Bratton. It is good music and lyrics by Carmen Hadley, David Tulin, and Rachel Lampa.